growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. When we offer some kind of forgiveness that we really don't understand why we should forgive, it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't offer enough satisfaction. And so, as the old saying goes, we bury the hatchet, but we don't forget where we buried it. All of us have been mistreated at some time in our life. All of us know what it is to experience hurt, pain, and injustice. For some people, the pain of that experience can last for years. So, how do we move past those experiences? We have to learn to forgive. But the truth is, forgiving someone who has wronged or wounded us deeply can feel like mission impossible. The more pain I feel over some injustice or some word spoken or something done to offend me, the more deeply I feel the pain of that, the more difficult it can be for me to offer forgiveness. Hello and welcome to this edition of Crosswalk. We're so glad you could join us today for a very important message in our series, Forgiveness, Mission Impossible. So far in this series, we've covered how to receive God's forgiveness and how to forgive ourselves. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is teaching on the importance of forgiving others. I want to help you understand why we should forgive, and therefore understanding why we should forgive helps us understand how to forgive. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. So far in this study, you have presented from God's Word the three requirements for receiving God's forgiveness, along with the two results of receiving His forgiveness. You've also shared the three steps we must take to forgive ourselves. These are vital areas that we need to understand if we're going to have the kind of life God wants us to have. Today's mission, should you choose to accept, is equally important. You need to help the people of God understand how to forgive others. Forgiving someone who has wronged or hurt can be tough. But the Word of God shows us that forgiving others isn't mission impossible. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Clay. We can be honest. It's not easy to forgive others sometimes, is it? It's not easy to forgive someone who's necessarily wronged us. And not surprisingly, there is a direct correlation between the degree of hurt or pain that we feel and the difficulty in offering forgiveness. In other words, the more pain I feel over some injustice or some word spoken or something done uh, to offend me, the more deeply I feel the pain of that, the more difficult it can be for me to offer forgiveness. The truth is, sometimes it can feel like mission impossible. How do I, how do I forgive that person? How do I uh, let go of that wrong that's been Uh, done uh, to me. Now, if you know anything about God, you know that he does not want us to spend, correction, does not want us to waste our lives floundering in a sea of anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. He doesn't. But some people do. 
Some people spend their lives, the rest of their lives, trapped, stuck, just stuck, stuck in the hurt, stuck in the anger, stuck in the bitterness, stuck in the moment of the offense. Either unwilling to forgive or just honestly not knowing how to forgive. And therefore, they are unable to move forward in their life. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life at some point. How do I learn to let go? That's the, that's the big question. Now, the truth is, especially if we, if we claim a relationship with Jesus, claim to be a follower of God, we understand that we're supposed to forgive, right? And so sometimes we, we go through the motions, so to speak, to offer uh, forgiveness. But when we don't really understand why we should forgive, it doesn't go deep enough. And, and so therefore, there's no satisfaction in it. You know, because, to be honest, when, when we don't forgive, what we want is we want the satisfaction of, of revenge, Sometimes, right? We, we want to somehow know that we were able to make them feel the way they made us feel. So when we offer some kind of forgiveness that, that we really don't understand why we should forgive, it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't offer enough satisfaction. And so as the old saying goes, we bury the hatchet, but we don't forget where we buried it. Today, I want to help you forget where you buried it. I want to help you understand why we should forgive. And therefore, understanding why we should forgive helps us understand how to forgive. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, open them to Matthew chapter 18. Yes, as always, uh, Lord willing, the text is going to be up here on the screen. Uh, we got some new software this week, and uh, Tyler, Tyler and Matt working hard all week on that, making some changes there, and uh, some things just kind of updating our, our look and all that kind of stuff, and so we appreciate all that, that work. And so hopefully the text will be up on the screen as it is each week, but maybe you brought a copy of God's Word, uh, either a hard copy, or if you have a phone or an iPad or something like that, you have a copy of God's Word uh, right with you right now, and you can, you can open it. You can open one of them apps. You don't know what them apps are? There's a lot of them out there, uh, by the way. Uh, I like Bible Gateway, but uh, there's a bunch of different ones that you can look at. But you've got a copy of God's Word, and so you can open it and look at Matthew chapter 18, where we're going to find, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, where we're going to find that Jesus tells a parable intended to help us understand why we should forgive, so that forgiving others does not become mission impossible. Uh, pray with me this morning, and then I'll read the text in just a moment, and then we'll get into, hopefully, we'll get into four reasons why we should forgive. We're going to look at what? I was just checking to see if y'all were, were zoned out yet, or whether y'all was with me. Four reasons why we should forgive from Matthew chapter 18. Father, uh, as I said a moment ago, we, we might as well be honest. You know everything about us, and uh, we can be honest and say that forgiveness sometimes does feel like mission impossible. Forgiving someone who's hurt us or angered us or treated us unfairly or unjustly. It might be somebody at work. It might be a, a neighbor that's just, right? It might, it might be a spouse. It might be, guys, so many different ways that we can hurt each other, offend each other, 
uh, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, it, it happens. We are just imperfect people. We understand that. We also understand that your word speaks about forgiveness. Help us to understand uh, today why we should forgive so that people can be set free and not be stuck in the moment, stuck in the event, stuck in the, in the hurt, but truly uh, be set free by being able to extend forgiveness to someone else. We're so grateful for your forgiveness that was given to us and the difference that makes in our lives as we'll talk about today, Father God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, is that what I said? Matthew chapter 18, we're going to begin this morning in verse 21, and we will uh, read to the end of the chapter, verse 35. You ready? You ready? Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and he began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Don't know how he's going to do that in prison, but. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And this Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Wow. All right. All right. Take a deep breath. Kind of got like I'm going to lose kind of moment. Take a deep breath. Let's jump into it. Let's, let's, let's see what we can find here in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start with this first reason here. Looks like this. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Forgive because you've been forgiven. I won't read verses 21 through 27 uh, again at this point because I I just read them. But Peter comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. Lord, how many times should I forgive a brother who has offended me or sinned against me? Up to seven 
times. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether somebody had actually offended Peter, had done something to Peter that, that caused him to wonder, you know, well, how, you know, should I forgive this guy? How long should I forgive? The text doesn't tell us whether Peter had actually been offended by something someone had done to him. I don't know, but I, I'm, just, I'm just speculating here. This is not biblical, but I'm just speculating here that uh, Peter's motivation for asking that question may very well have been just to impress Jesus, quite honestly. <laughs> we saw last week that, that Peter was not shy about trying to look like the most spiritual guy in the room, right? Hey, don't you know, y'all think, I, I was thinking about this last night when I was praying, don't you think that the other disciples just rolled their eyes every time Peter started to speak like, here he goes again. Because, Peter, because Peter's answer is one that, I'm sure impressed himself, and I suspect he thought would impress Jesus. See, the, the teaching of that, that day, the, the rabbis, the religious leaders of that day taught that if someone offended you and they, and they came to you forgiveness, they did some grievance against you and they came to you forgiveness, that you should forgive that person up to three times. But after that, if they, if they did something to you on the fourth time, it, well, all bets are off then. You, you didn't necessarily have to offer forgiveness to them. Well, Peter had been around Jesus long enough to know that whatever the religious standard was of that day, it was not going to measure up to Jesus' standard. So Peter basically doubles what the religious, leader expected, religious leaders expected and threw in another one for good measure. Lord, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother if he uh, sins against me? Up to seven times? <sighs> so I'm telling you, Peter and all of the other disciples' mouths must have just fallen open, must have just dropped. Drop when Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I'm thinking, here's Peter, because Peter, he's, you know, he can't let anything go, right? So Peter's like, well, well, no, wait. 490 times? How, how is anybody ever supposed to keep up with being offended 490 times? I don't know if Peter said that or not, but if he did, I can assure you the next words out of Jesus' mouth would have been exact amundo, my friend. Jesus may not have said exactamundo, but he would have said exactly, my friend, which is the point that Jesus is making. You don't keep up with the offense. You don't keep up with how many times they have offended you. You offer forgiveness because you have been offered forgiveness. And to drive home the point, Jesus brings this parable into this teaching moment. Now, a parable is a story laid beside a truth. It, uh, para, parabolo in the Greek, we get our word parallel, parallel lines, two lines side by side. Uh, a parable is a story laid alongside of a truth to emphasize the truth. It's, 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 it's intended to highlight and to emphasize the truth. And so Jesus begins to tell this parable to emphasize this truth. And he says in this parable that there is this guy who owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, it's a parable, okay? It's not an actual event. It's a story to help highlight a truth, all right? It's not, it's not endorsing slavery. It's, it wasn't the same in Jewish culture anyway, but don't read too much into the text except to say that it's a story to emphasize. So he says there's this guy that owes his master, owes the king 10,000 talents. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, says that 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of at least $10 million in today's economy, 
Wiersbe goes on to say that the average man would have to work 20 years to earn one talent. So this guy has no chance of paying off this debt. When he, said, when he pleads, oh, oh my, my king, please just give me enough time and I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay you back everything I owe. No, he won't. He never will. He has no chance of ever paying it back. And in a moment that would seem like almost insanity, the king extends grace and forgiveness to this servant to not just give him the time to attempt to work off the debt, but to erase the debt. You owe me nothing. It's gone. Because therein lies the motivation to forgive. Because you have been forgiven. And, and listen, therein lies our motivation. Because for that guy in the parable, all the motivation in the world has just been handed to him to forgive anybody else for any other thing that they might have done to him or owe him or anything else because he has been forgiven. And that is our motivation as well, ladies and gentlemen. Because, listen, can I just remind, I know, I know you know this, can I just remind you, the debt that you and I owed was far greater than $10 million or any numeric value. It was sin that cost us and broke our relationship with God. And God didn't just erase the debt, God experienced the debt. He took it on himself on the cross and he died to be payment for our sins so that the slate might be wiped clean and we forgive because we've been forgiven. I want to introduce you to Jamal and Andrew and a powerful story of forgiveness. Their story is going to unfold throughout my message today. I was born and raised in Bell Harbor, Michigan. I'm the youngest of six. Dad and mom had a big falling out. Mom used to kick the crap out of us. I've learned today now that mom was just doing what she was taught. And for me, <laughs> I didn't want to ever bring that type of lifestyle to my kid. Violence became a part of my nature. I grew up in a pretty violent home. One night uh, it got out of hand and uh, police officers were called and I remember that the guy brought peace to my home. It wasn't because he was mean to my dad, he wasn't aggressive, just his presence brought peace to my house. And I remember thinking from that point on, like, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. February of uh, 2006, I had been working as a, a narcotics cop for about four months. And uh, I caught a guy with some crack. And he said he wanted to go home. He didn't want to go to jail. So he made a phone call and uh, set up a drug deal for an ounce of crack cocaine. I get to the scene and I see the vehicle just like I was told. And there was one guy in the car, um, but he wasn't my guy. And then this other guy comes out of the store and he comes walking towards the vehicle. I'm in here shopping, I come out of the store and this guy was approaching me talking about he's a cop. And where's the dope? I'm like, what, what dope? I tried to walk around him and he kept 
like getting in my way, blocking my view, and then he pulled out the badge. And I'm like, oh, so this is for real. I wasn't sure if that was the guy or not either, but from that point on, I kind of operated from that's the guy and I've got to prove that he's guilty. Sitting in jail, the first week, um, I was just lost. I'm like, man, they gotta figure this out. They know I don't have nothing to do with this. Like, why am I here? By the end of that day, I wrote the report that as I pulled up, this guy in the driver's seat uh, leaned towards the center council where I found an ounce of crack cocaine. And that guy, uh, I lodged under the name who I thought he was. The police report came in and it was not me. And then two days later, I get information that it wasn't that guy. His fingerprints came back and it was actually Jamel McGee, which was my target's cousin. And I was like, wait a minute, okay, this is cool. So now they can see this and then I should be able to go home. So I could have at that point just said, you know what, mistaken identity, got the wrong guy. But I still felt like this guy was guilty. You know, I have to prove it. So I just wrote a supplemental report. And with the stroke of uh, some keys on a computer, you know, I kind of cinched the deal for Jamel being convicted. At that point, I realized, like, this ain't going away. Forgiveness is not easy, but we forgive because we've been forgiven. Can I just remind you of just a few of the probably dozens, if not hundreds, of passages of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 9, but you are a God of forgiveness. That's who our God is. Psalm 130, verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for what? Say it. Say it. Forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us because of that and lots of other passages of scripture, then... Ephesians 4.32, be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That is our motivation. We forgive because we have been forgiven. I don't know if there's somebody in your life that you have been unable to forgive, some event in your life that you have been unable to forgive. The first reason you ought to have for being able to forgive and willing to forgive is because you have been forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've come to Christ, if you've experienced his grace and power working in your life, then you have been forgiven. And that ought to be motivation. The second reason naturally kind of springs out of the first reason, and it is this. Forgive because being forgiven should change you. It's not just the knowledge that you have been forgiven, but the fact that you have been forgiven should change you into a different person in many respects. In verse uh, 28, let me just read it again real quick. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was 
unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Isn't it interesting that the unmerciful servant goes out looking, as the text specifically says, he goes out looking for this guy that owed him money. It, it would be one thing if he just had me walking down the street and he bumped into the guy and said, hey, you owe me some money, when are you going to pay? Now that would be bad enough considering what the king has done for him. But oh no, this guy goes looking for this servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Would take that servant about a hundred days to pay off that debt, to work off that debt. Very doable. But the unmerciful servant will have nothing to do with it. He grabs him. He begins to choke him. He begins to uh, accost him. And eventually, rather than give him, isn't it interesting that he won't give him the very same thing he asked for the king? Do you see the words are almost verbatim, if not verbatim? Have patience with me and I will repay you. That's what he said to the king, right? And here comes this guy. Have patience with me and I will repay you. And he really could have repaid him. Whereas the unmerciful servant had no chance of paying back. This guy could actually pay. Have mercy, have patience with me and I'll, I'll repay you. And he refused and has him thrown in prison. I'm just saying, when that kind of grace and forgiveness has been, has been lavished out on you, shouldn't it change you? The short answer is yes, yes, yes. It should. Let's, let's pick up the story with Jamal and Andrew. A couple days later when I get the information that I had lodged Jamel under the wrong name, uh, there was a little bit of fear uh, that I was going to get found out because I did lie about him being in the vehicle. So it was just a simple one-paragraph um, write-up saying uh, I mistakenly said it was the wrong person. And when I heard the judge say, I'm sentencing you to 10 years in federal prison. I was like, oh, wow. So when the judge convicted him, you know, it was basically like just affirmation that it was a job well done. And they carted me off. There was a lack of humanity when I viewed Jamel. He was a stepping stone for me in my career. My uh, career kind of spiraled out of control. There was things, uh, even the day that I arrested Jamel that I told myself I would never do. And yet by the end of my career in 2008, every boundary I'd set up for myself, uh, I walked through and broke down. I was stealing money from the city of Benton Harbor and from drug dealers. I was planting drugs to make sure that I could get search warrants. Two years after I met Jamel, I got caught with crack heroin and marijuana in my office. I got caught on a Tuesday, thought about killing myself on Wednesday. I couldn't see coming back from this. I walked into his office and I told him everything. The more I confessed, the more I got me back, that little boy who wanted to be a good officer. And uh, I started to not just feel bad for myself for being caught, but I started to feel bad for what I had done to people. What do I do from here? And he said, Andrew, where are you at with Jesus? I remember kind of being blindsided. And I just hung my head and I started crying. I said, I don't deserve him. I don't deserve him. You've heard everything I did. I don't deserve Jesus' love. And he said, Andrew, none of us do. That's the beauty of grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. As time went on, it became apparent to me that I was going to have to answer 
uh, for my wrongdoings. Uh, so I went to the FBI and I said, I want to I wanna right my wrongs. I want to tell you guys everything I did. What happens to us when we experience God's grace should change us. We shouldn't be the same person that we were before then. That's a reason to offer forgiveness. Let me give you a a third one here this morning that you may not necessarily like. Forgive because others are watching you. We were going over my message this morning. Tyler says, you know, that's that's not creepy. And I'm like... That is the world in which we live. Watch this, verse uh, 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. You know it didn't take long for word to get around town what the king had done for his servant. Did you hear what the king did for Joe? The king forgave Joe his entire debt. $10 million. The king just wiped the slate king. Can you believe that? Man, I guarantee you, Joe has got to be one happy dude. And the first time they run into Joe, he's he's grabbed a hold of his fellow servant, got him by the neck, choking him, screaming at him, insisting that that he pay him what is an insignificant debt, really, and having him thrown into prison. Well, nobody's gonna sit on that news, right? King. Let me tell you about Joe. We may not like it, but especially if you claim the name of Christ, people watch you, ladies and gentlemen. And what better way to demonstrate the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God but to extend it to others who are just as undeserving of it as you are. Let's continue with the story. I made a goal for myself in prison to harm the officer, whenever I got out, I was deeply hurt um, by everything that had happened. My turning point from that was I realized that I had a son and I wanted a different life for him. It was a Bible on my desk. This day I just said, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible. My mind just went blank and God stepped in. and was telling me, hey, let it go. This ain't even your fight. You know, I'm giving him everything, all this hurt, all this bitterness, I'm giving it away to him. Counselor says to me, hey, where would you go if he's released today, tomorrow, or six months from now? I'm like, hey, probably to my grandma's house. He's like, well, I need the address. And he was like, when I gave him the address, He said, you got 15 minutes to leave. The fax machine beeped and he handed me the paper. And that was a letter from the judge um, saying that my conviction was overturned and I had to leave the premises immediately. So I grabbed the paper and um, I stepped outside the door and I just simply said, thank you, Jesus. I gave away my hurt, my pain, my frustration, and God gave me an exit. Out of all the guys who I chased around as a police officer, Jamel was not one of them. He was never on my target before. I didn't think of him much after. People uh, watch what you do, whether you like that idea or not. I don't know if you guys ever do this or not, but sometimes when I'm at the mall 
or maybe at a theme park or something like that, sometimes I'll just sit down and watch people go by. Y'all ever do that? Now, sometimes, not all that, sometimes I try and make something kind of spiritual out of it, you know? I'll, I'll think about people as they go by. Where is this person going to spend eternity? What's going on in their life? I'll, I'll try to sometimes pray for people as they go by. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm just looking at people saying, that dude is weird. <laughs> you just, right? You just watch sometimes. People watch. Uh, I don't think Jennifer Mason, I don't think she's in here this morning. I think I told this on her once before, but I can't remember. But uh, a number of years ago, uh, Jennifer uh, Mason, her, her mom uh, told me that Jennifer had called her because one night, Jennifer saw Cindy and I either pulling in or pulling out of a, of a cookout. And she called her mom. She said, Mom, Pastor Clay and Cindy eat at cookout. Now, I, I don't know if she thought because I'm a pastor I should live off of locusts and wild honey or, or manna from heaven or what. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what, what she was thinking. But, but what I know is whether you like it or not, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your children, they watch you. If you claim the name of Christ, they watch you. And that ought to be a really good reason to extend grace and forgiveness to others because they watch you. I know the idea of, of other people looking at us doesn't, doesn't strike us very well, but you know, in some respects, it's exactly what God wants in our life. Uh, Jesus said this in uh, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are the light of the world. And he wants that light. And it, obviously, the application being your actions, your attitude, your approach, your grace, your love, your all. He wants that godliness in you to shine out into a world of corruption and darkness and sinfulness to impact that very world. And as I said a moment ago, what better way to do that and demonstrate that than to offer grace and forgiveness to someone else. Others are watching you. Fourth reason this morning. Forgive because you will always lose when you don't. You, you, that may sound like a selfish reason, but I'm, it's, a, it's a good one. You forgive because you will always lose when you don't. Verse 32, it says, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then Jesus brings the parable home. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You always lose when you do not forgive. This unmerciful servant, this one's unwilling to forgive, obviously the king finds out about it. The, the king brings him back in. The king calls him wicked, paneros in the Greek. It's not, it's not just the idea of committing a, a wicked or evil act. It is the very essence of wickedness, uh, that you, you and yourself are evil. That you, could, that you could act this way toward another person after what has been done for you. Now, I want to I caution you here not to push this parable too far. 
Because, as I said a moment ago, Jesus brings this parable, he brings the application home to roost, so to speak, uh, there in, in verse 35, I guess it is, and, and I want to read it to you again in the New Living. He says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I want to say this to you. Be careful to not push the parable too far. This text is not saying that God will take salvation away from you if you do not forgive someone who has offended you. We know that that is the case because all of Scripture is replete. It is, it is abundantly clear that, that once adopted into the family of God, genuinely, truly adopted into the family of God, a person cannot be unadopted, praise God, because there's not a single one of us that acts like Jesus all of the time. And if being Christ-like all the time were the requirement for getting and holding on to forgiveness and having access to heaven, well... Let's just say it's going to be a lot of empty seats on that train. No, the text is not saying that that's not the application Jesus is making. The application he's making, now listen, let me say this. A person that, has, that, that claims to have experienced God's grace in their life, that is, that is unwilling to, to forgive another person, they might ought to seriously question whether they have actually understood what grace is, truly experienced that grace for themselves. I mean, experience, not just under, but experience in their life. They might want to seriously question themselves if they're hanging on to bitterness and anger and resentment and all these kind of things. They might want to seriously question themselves whether they have actually experienced God's grace in their life. But the point Jesus is making is that you will always lose. If you don't, if you don't learn to let it go, you'll lose in this thing. And there's no way a loving Heavenly Father is going to let any one of His children get away with that kind of conduct without some kind of consequence for their actions. There's no way. Jamal and Andrew again. Two years after I get out, I get to meet my son for the very first time. He wanted to go to the park this day. My idea was just to let him run through the park and I would just stay on the sidewalk and then I saw you. I remember I'm there and uh, you came over and you, you stuck out your hand and I remember thinking like, okay, good, you know, this is gonna be a good interaction. And when I shook your hand, you said, you remember my name? I looked down at my son and said, explain to, to him why I was missing out on these years of his life. Yeah. I think that was worse than being punched, right? And uh, I think at that point, it's just when I started apologizing to you. And then, like, I get done saying I'm sorry, and you just kept grabbing me. <laughs> you just kept holding on. Like, what was going on in your brain? When, like, why wouldn't you let me go? I was waiting on God to give me a clear sign, an answer, or something of what I should be doing. Uh, I think it's amazing to be able to talk to you now and find out you were battling with God. I had no clue that you had that run-in with Jesus in prison. You had no clue I had that run-in with Jesus through this whole thing. God had let me know um, in that moment, like, this ain't even your fight. Get out of my way. I ended up releasing you and um, walking away. That's the power of grace. That's what it does. And if you do not apply it to your life and to the lives of those around you who have, who have treated you unjustly or done something to you that wasn't, wasn't fair, if you don't apply it, you lose in this. You're the loser in this. Someone has rightly said, said this, that the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. That's absolutely true. Can I just say this to you? It's not worth it. Let it go. 
let it go. Because in the end, it cost you. Hebrews 12, 15 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Implication probably being that many do allow a root of bitterness to spring up, grow up in them, ruining their very lives. Years ago, Cindy and I knew a lady in a church where we had been affiliated, been a part of, and she got angry at some of the people in the church, actually pretty much all the people in the church. She was the church secretary, and the church had taken an action that she did not agree with, and she got mad. And the more she stewed on it and the more she chewed on it, the madder she got. And as the weeks and the months went by, she just got angrier and angrier and angrier. People tried to talk to her. People uh, tried to pray with her. Her pastor tried to counsel her, but she just, she, just wouldn't have, she just wouldn't let it go. It affected virtually every area of her life. The church eventually had to take action and remove her from her position because she could not be Christ-like to people as they came in the door. There was just this permanent scowl on her face and her whole approach and attitude to people just, just showed it. Her husband of many, many years eventually just became so tired of the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that they separated and eventually divorced. Eventually, she was diagnosed with cancer and she died a lonely, bitter, angry woman. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that everyone that, that gets sick is as a result of, of un, unforgiveness. I, 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 I'm not saying that she, that she got cancer because of unforgiveness. I, 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 I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that, is that it, she's the one that lost in all this. She lost everything because of her unwillingness just to forgive, to just let it go based on what had, had she claimed to have experienced in her life, based on the change that should have taken place in her life, based on the fact that people were watching her and could see what was going on in her life, she was just unwilling to let it go. It's just not worth it. Here's the conclusion to Jamal and Andrew's story. Three weeks in that class, you get to uh, meet your mentor. And Miss P comes to me and says... Hey, we finally got your mentor. We understand that he's done some things at the city of Ben Harbor. And I was like, wait a minute, Miss P. Who is it already? And she was like, Andrew Collins. Oh, no way. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Let me pray on that. I know God, I think God is telling me he wants this to happen. Princella had talked to me that day about being your mentor. She comes huh. down. She's like, hey, there's this guy in the class. I think God has just laid it on my heart. You need to be wow. his mentor. And, and I said, okay, who is it? She said, his name's Zuki. Do you know him? And I was like, I don't, I don't think I know him personally. You know, I forgot that's what people call you. An hour and a half later, you come walking in, and all of a sudden, I'm brought back <laughs> to that angry dude gripping my hand. And I was like, oh, shoot. But I also felt like God had, like, opened this door for a second chance for me to apologize to you. I felt like I failed that day, right? So I said, man, I'm so sorry for everything I did to you. And I remember you just like leaning away from me, like you were offended that I was even talking about it. And you just kept reassuring me that it was over. You just kept saying, it's over, bro, it's over. And I remember you telling me I believed you the day in the park that you were sorry. 
and I believe you now. And I asked you if we could pray together, and you were like, yeah, and you just bowed your head right there, and I was like, all right, cool, we're doing this. Andrew, I forgive you, and the reason why is if God didn't forgive us for our actions, or we were charged for every single thing that we've done in our life, where would that leave us? It's these things that we're holding on to, trying to fix it. We're trying to make it right. And all we got to do is just let it go. But I think it's so many times where I'm holding a grudge against a family member, you know, my wife or, you know, a close friend. And, you know, God reminds me of the forgiveness you've offered me. So I just hope you know how transformative your forgiveness is. Um, not just in my life, but the way I've seen you impact so many people. It's been incredible. I am Jamel McGee, a.k.a. Zuki, and I am second. I'm Andrew Collins, and I am second. Most of us have been taught that we should forgive others. But as Pastor Clay said in today's message, maybe you were never shown why you should forgive. Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant is a lesson for all of us. God's forgiveness of our sin should become a catalyst for our ability to forgive others. They may not deserve to be forgiven, but then again, neither did we. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Surely, such love should compel us to forgive others. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.